actually Lily Winwood with Steve Winwood um, singing that version of Higher Love, uh, something that we are lacking a lot these days. Uh, welcome to the Tori Sess Show. It's Monday. Um, I'm late. I've been having issues. My website was under attack. My, For some reason, I discovered that since my computer couldn't be hijacked, the actual modem that I use had a piece of software loaded on it throttling my internet. So hopefully today the show will go a bit smoothly. I know a lot of you just watch it and as long as there's a continuous stream, it comes through. But um, uh, on my end, I could tell you all last week, uh, I, um, I couldn't see the screen half the time. And so messages were pinned. I couldn't switch through. I couldn't see your messages. It was a whole hot debacle. <laughs> because apparently, kind of like what was being explained when they were discussing the whole, uh, you know, election issue, firmware. Firmware is a backdoor into any system. Uh, though having said that, on my computer system, I do have a few programs that that run on a 
another system. So my computer system runs as a virtual computer system on a back system. So that back system is pretty hardcore. My front facing system, you know, can't tell me what my back is doing. But what I realized was is um, I had a firmware update done remotely to my modem that was throttling my internet. Crazy. So crazy. So I was dealing with that. So I apologize for the delay today. Um, I wanted to start out um, to kind of, before we get into like the news, I wanted you to think um, about this for a second. I want you to think of a tree, okay? Uh, and this tree is just standing out in the field. It never has to, uh, you know, fight for sunlight, never has to fight for rain. It's just, it always has everything it wants. A tree like that is never going to be a king because it never had to fight for anything. Never had to fight for sun, never had to fight for air. It was just by itself standing there. It always got its share of everything. So it never became a king in a forest. It just lived and then it died. It wasn't interesting. It was something that was not interesting. In the face of adversion, right? When you're up against trouble, when you're up against anything, the one thing you should always do is lift your chin, set your shoulders back, solid feet, and take a brace, right? Um, that's the best thing anybody can do because you may fail, but you may conquer, right? This is, this is how you always position yourself in life in anything. You have to see it through, regardless if you eat dirt or if you get it. And everything may seem wrong. Everything may tell you your future is so grim. There's no way. And that's the thing. A lot of people cower to that. But if you keep yourself in check, you will continue. And the worst thing that can happen is you bow out. Uh, that's basically it. Because what is it? The, the Moorish proverb, he who does not travel doesn't know the value of men, right? It's very true. I see so many messages, so much. I think people were waiting for a knight in shining armor. And for months here, I've been telling you all the hard work begins in 2021. Regardless of the work that you cannot see, God doesn't tell you what he's doing. Oh, geez, no, he doesn't. It's not like he's going to send you those angels <laughs> we saw on movie night yesterday that were really bad rappers and, you know, bootleg angels. Um, to kind of show you guidance is what you need and guidance should come from within, you know, because, uh, in, in, in Spain, I remember there was, um, this man I met and I had, um, I had said something about, uh, some, he had some items that he was selling and I was thinking, you know, that I looks really dangerous. I, I don't know how I feel about that. And he told me a Spanish proverb, he who fears death cannot enjoy life. Indeed, that's true. 
if you're in if you live in fear of what is to come and you cannot fathom a better tomorrow because you feel so suffocated then what's the point of doing anything just roll over and that's exactly what people are doing so this morning i published an article in regards to Pre president select because what people need to understand is this president was selected he was not elected these people stole elections from our nation while the whole world watched and while everyone was like look they have suitcases with ballots look they're doing this nobody cares you could have had biden himself filling ballots out and counting them and feeding them in the machine they would still give it to him because your voice is not being heard it has not been heard for over two decades two decades your voice has not been heard it doesn't matter if they were sitting there and you were watching them you could have been in person touching them flesh and blood touching them poking them it didn't matter they were going to give it to biden regardless so the point is this is where you're at do you sit down and say oh um i guess i'm overpowered Psh, roll over or do you do something about it this is where you are at right now you have to decide how you move forward do you let the corporations that aren't throttling you for what you say but they're throttling you for what you may hear they don't want you listening they don't want you reading they don't want you educated they want you to obey 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 so for all those people out there oh yo trump i'm so tired of this he totally abandoned what is he supposed to do if you're not willing to put in the elbow grease well all of us are doing something aren't we so we're starting with ohio seems like portman's office that i spoke to yesterday uh <laughs> motivational speech right there i don't know maybe i motivated him not to run again but um you know it's uh it's it's quite interesting that he's not running again after that conversation yesterday <laughs> it doesn't matter you could say you're not running again but we're gonna make sure whatever pension you have we confiscate whatever money you've banked we take we will not just let you go away quietly we will hold you accountable period kind of like what i wanted to start today with was introducing you to a very very good book i've talked about this before called animal farm by george orwell a lot of people you know don't like to read anymore no uh, you know i don't blame them uh because in this society today we are so uh overwhelmed with instant gratification and instant information that our eyes reading words make us tired so animal farm is exactly what you're seeing in front of you right now right now so let's take a look at this short short clip of someone talking about what is animal farm take a listen in august of 1945 the george orwell novel animal farm was first published 
What was Animal Farm about? How successful was it? Originally titled Animal Farm, a fairy story, the novel tells the story of a group of animals that revolt and overthrow the man who runs their farm. The leaders of this revolution are two young pigs, Napoleon and Snowball, who have competing ideas about how the farm should be managed. At first, things seem wonderful. Snowball teaches the animals how to read and write, and Napoleon trains them in the principles of animalism. They adopt the seven commandments of animalism, which include, whatever goes upon two legs is an enemy. Whatever goes upon four legs or has wings is a friend. No animal shall wear clothes. No animal shall sleep in a bed. No animal shall drink alcohol. No animal shall kill any other animal. And all animals are equal. However, as the story progresses, Napoleon and Snowball begin to challenge each other for leadership over the farm. This ends with Snowball being chased away and Napoleon taking control. The original commandments are altered to simpler mantras, such as four legs good, two legs bad, and all animals are equal, but some animals are more equal than others. Napoleon begins consorting with other local farmers and even walking upright on two legs. Eventually, the animals of the farm realize that they can no longer distinguish a difference between the old leaders and the new. Orwell wrote the story as an allegory, which mirrored the rise of Joseph Stalin in the Soviet Union. Each character in the story closely resembles the major figures in Russian history during that era. Old Major, an older pig that started the movement, represents Vladimir Lenin, who led the communist revolution in Russia. Napoleon is Joseph Stalin, who assumed control of Russia after Lenin's death. Snowball is Leon Trotsky, who challenged Stalin for leadership over the Soviet Union, but was eventually chased out of the country by Stalin. Upon its release, Animal Farm was not very well received by critics. Some believe the novel was a disappointment and viewed it as clumsy or even puzzling. Yet, others felt that the book was delightfully humorous. Despite initial criticisms, Animal Farm has gone on to critical acclaim in the modern world. It was chosen as one of the best 20th century novels by Modern Library, and Time Magazine selected it as one of the 100 best English language novels. Over the years, it has been presented in many different formats, from stage plays, to radio dramas, and even two feature-length films. It has also become required reading in many high school courses throughout the world. There is no doubt that Animal Farm will continue to have an impact on society for years to come. Yes, it will, because you are living that. See, some animals have more rights than others. 
This is what you see right now. The crimes that the Biden family have committed that are well documented have thus been ignored by law enforcement. The laws do not apply to them. The laws do not apply to all those that stole our elections, not only a federal crime, but a matter of national security. But laws do not apply to them. Some animals have more rights than others. And that is fact. <laughs> we see it. They can get away with everything, including murder, child sexual abuse, money laundering, theft, right? All of that. But why are they able to do it? The one thing is expectations. Expectations. Ex expectations are um, a problem for humans. I'll say it in this way. Many, many times throughout my show, I've said, people are imagining some guy that looks like Gandalf that's going to save the day. They're expecting, I don't know, some SEAL team to come and save them or some, or, you know, some figure, a political figure that may be dead or not to come and save them. They are always looking for a savior. And this is this delay because there's a science behind that. Believe it or not, there's a science behind expectations, right? People have an image of what they think a leader is, what they think a soldier is, what they think a knight in shining armor is, what they think a wise person is, what they think a person that could take down a whole planet is. They have this idea in their mind and they picture it because one person suggests it and somebody else amplifies it and there we go. So we are taught, they say, that we should wait for the Savior, for God to save us. Well, that, you know, if you actually read the Bible and you actually listen to the word, it's not that way. It's you help yourself. It's what we do in life has nothing to do with what we build, right? In essence, like it's not... I built this. Okay, yeah, if you build a monument and a pyramid and it lasts forever, you know, that's dope. You're gonna, it's gonna be there forever, right? But that's not what really counts. What counts is what you have done to be weaved into the fabric for civilizations to come. And change brings improvement. Therefore, to have something perfect. And something good, well then, change must always be present, right? That's, that's the reality. And a lot of you are worried about action, action, actions. Ooh, we need action. We need things done. We need them arrested. You shouldn't be worried about actions. You should be worried about inactions and not of others, of yourself. I say this with a lot of love and affection, because I've been saying the same thing for a while. Change is constantly present. Change is what makes things beautiful. But your expectations 
are what cause failures and what cause you to be disheartened. It is your expectation. Hmm. Oh, look, this came. This means this. Oh, and then you imagine, you have this imagination of what something looks like, and it's totally not that. And then when the truth comes to you and it's not Gandalf, you're just like, yeah, I don't know. Uh, and suddenly you're stuck. But from the Imagine Dragons song, Polaroid. It's nice, but we get something interesting when it's played backwards. Here, take a listen. Wait, didn't you hear it? Let me put the words up and play it again. You hear it now? That's weird, right? Well, the weirder thing is, why didn't you hear this until I put the words there? Does this backwards message actually exist, or is this some sort of mental trick? There are tons of songs with backwards messages, but if you listen to them before looking at the lyrics, like we did, they're unintelligible. You can try this with other songs, too. Jeff Milner's Backmasking Collection has a lot of good examples of this. Without these written lyrics, backwards songs are just gibberish. But when we have lyrics, when we know what we're looking for, we automatically create an expectation for how the song should sound to us. And as we listen to it, we interpret those noises in a way that supports that expectation, and we hear those lyrics. This is the expectancy effect, that when we have expectations for some results, we are much more likely to perceive that result, even if it doesn't exist. But wait, isn't it possible these bands just put these backwards messages in their songs all along, and this expectation thing is just BS? Well, probably not. Some artists have intentionally put backwards messages in their music, but the majority have not. Most of this is just pure expectation. People wanted to find something, so they did. I mean, if you spend some time looking, there are backwards messages in everything. Remember the song Polaroid I showed you in the beginning? That's not from a YouTube video or anything. One night, my brother and I just sat down and tried to think of a backwards message for the purpose of this video. So it seems like expectations do, in fact, influence our perception of reality. And in 1973, psychologist David Rosenhan conducted a fascinating experiment illustrating this. Rosenhan wondered if psychiatrists and psychiatric wards could reliably tell the difference between sane and insane persons. So he and seven others pretended to be hearing voices and were actually admitted into real psychiatric wards across the United States. Now, after this, they began behaving normally again, but it still took them a while to get out, an average of 19 days. And none of them were released as totally normal, but instead with the label schizophrenia in remission. This first part is really interesting and reveals some kind of shocking things about the state of psychiatric wards in 1973. But we're not going to talk about it too much right now, because we're interested in what happened after this experiment. One hospital heard about this and said, oh, there's no way you could trick our staff. So Rosenhan said, okay, in the next three months, I will send over one or more pseudo-patients. And if you can tell them apart, then you're right, I guess we didn't trick you. Of the 193 patients who came in during this period, 41 were alleged with high confidence to be a pseudo-patient by at least one staff member, and 19 were suspected by at least a staff member and a psychiatrist. So how many pseudo-patients did Rosenhan send? Zero. All of the people the staff and psychiatrists identified were, presumably, not faking at all. But when Rosenhan said he would send in pseudo-patients, this created the expectation in the mind of the staff and the psychiatrists 
and they then interpreted behavior to fit their expectations. They saw what they wanted to see. Okay, up until now, we've been talking about how the expectancy effect can influence our perception of things, but there's another component of this we haven't yet addressed. Sometimes we also experience real behavioral change as a result of our expectations. Let me share the perfect example of this, a placebo. A placebo is the expectancy effect. You take a pill or injection that does absolutely nothing, but because you expect it to work, your body acts like it's real medicine and you can get better. Quick side note, placebos are not 100% effective and it's hard to tell how effective they actually are, but they definitely have helped some people. Now, there's one more example I want to share with you to really hammer home the power of this behavioral change and the expectancy effect in general. In 1965, psychologists Robert Rosenthal and Lenore Jacobson gave an intelligence test to a public elementary school in the beginning of its school year. After that test, Rosenthal and Jacobson used a special method to identify about 20% of the kids who were expected to grow much more than all the other kids, and they shared that information with the teachers. Eight months later, at the end of the school year, Rosenthal and Jacobson come back and give that same intelligence test to measure how everyone's grown. All the students have grown, naturally, they were in school for a year, but the students they identified, that 20%, grew significantly more than the other students. Maybe you've already guessed this from the direction of the overall video, but here's the thing. Rosenthal and Jacobson didn't have a special method. That 20% of students they identified as high growers, totally random but they still grew more than everyone else. You see, when teachers were told that some students were expected to grow rapidly, their expectations for those students changed, and without realizing it themselves, they behaved differently. They had better moods around those students. They paid closer attention. If they would raise their hand, they would give them more time to respond. And all of this actually helped those students do better than others. This expectation effect is powerful and crazy, and there are so many more applications for it than just the four we have mentioned. But even these four, I think, are pretty big. It can cause us to interpret or hear things that aren't there. It can cause us to misdiagnose and misunderstand someone's condition. It can help people get better when they maybe technically shouldn't and it can change the way we treat people without us even realizing it. Maybe Marshall McLuhan says it the best. I wouldn't have seen it if I hadn't believed it. Brother, I'll see you on weekday. Hey everyone, thanks for watching. If you liked this, there are two- I wouldn't have seen it if I hadn't believed it. Hmm. I wouldn't have seen it if I haven't, hadn't believed it. That's very interesting, isn't it? So, what is it that you couldn't see? Well, freedom is something that someone possesses only if they have the courage to defend it. And while many people say, well, I can defend freedom, you have to think, are you willing to go without food, cigarettes, internet, house, a job, your cat, your dog? That's the question. Now, no one ever calls for a fight. I, I said over six months ago, the real work begins in 2021. He's waiting. When will you call? That's the thing. We're already seeing the buyer's remorse from the left. They can cause damage beyond belief, and that is exactly where they're taking it. Hence why it's so important this first, you know, these first 60 days to get to work as fast as possible. Now, while all of us love our creature comforts, we fail to realize that this is 
the precipice. This is where it's at. You're explaining to others what's going on. You're sharing the message. The left is now agreeing with you. Holy crap. What did we do? But the question is, what are we doing? Where are the actions? This is why I said it's hard work. I'm pretty impressed that after that call with Portman that, <laughs> oh man, do you know what he did when he was in the White House back in the day? Damn. So here's where work actually begins. We're seeing Inspector General Michael Horowitz put out, oh, we're checking to see if any current DOJ official engaged in any improper attempts um, to have the DOJ seek to alter the outcome of the 2020 presidential election. Now, that means that they're investigating allegations within his jurisdiction. But you have to understand that the OIG's jurisdiction does not extend to allegations against other government officials. So in essence, what they could do is look at lower level employees, right? But not SESs, not appointed persons in certain positions, just them. Now, if anything, the one lesson that those that were spearheading the fights, the big leaders, many of them, many, many of them have learned is that just because group says this is valid doesn't mean it's true. Now they've been pushing this message too. a lot of these leaders of truth. Well, they fucked up. Okay. They fucked up because obviously you didn't do well enough. You couldn't fathom that there were other systems in place. You believe that everything was thorough, above board, and because you had the clearances, you could see shit. Well, that's not the way the swamp works. There's shit you don't see. There's shit that's happening behind your back, under your feet, up your behind, behind your head, anywhere that you will not see. So a lot of people right now are eating serious crow silently because they realized that while they were at the forefront, they fucked up. They were listening to what everyone else was saying, well, so-and-so, and then thousands and hundreds of thousands of people were promoting that message. Therefore, it must be true. So this is how it is. This is exactly how it is. So I like to serve Crow, and I feel bad that I'm serving Crow to people that I admire and look up to, but I'm still telling them, yo, you fucked up. So the point here is, is what do you do now that you've realized that where you thought you knew the floor was there, wasn't, how do you fix that? Check your gut. What does your gut tell you? See, it's always about the gut. Yesterday on movie night, we watched this thing called Look Again, right? It was a movie from 2017. It was a comedy, actually. Such a comedy <laughs> that even the casting was comedic. Like the, the main character was silly looking, you know, everything. But the point of that was is that this guy, you know, he meets his angels and they give him glasses and he can put them on and see who's good and who's bad. That way he can make decisions so people don't backstab him or that his life can continue in a better way. Well, 
The problem with that is, and I've said this before, a lot of people have access to the same technology I do. Now, the whole premise of that technology is that you remain objective because you can see with your eyes and your eyes are biased and your eyes have a certain view and therefore you might be a bad person. So if you're looking through glasses to tell you if someone else is bad, you're going to identify bad as good and vice versa. So what you have to understand is that the looking glass doesn't have any room for subjectivity because then you get subjective outcomes. And this happens all the time. It's called expectations. You believe because you have a career of so many years that you know exactly where to look. And unfortunately, you really don't. Because there are forces that you cannot see. There are people and organizations that do not rise above the earth's surface, per se. They do not breach the water and bob their heads and tell you, here I am. And for those types of forces, those types of things, when you hear a voice come out from the belly of the beast, you listen. And you use discernment, your own discernment, not glasses. So the problem that we had was that both sides, the good, and the bad were very subjective when tackling issues. <laughs> the amount of communications, I wish this, doesn't matter what you wish, what are you doing now? See, in life, it doesn't matter. Courage, courage is to stand up, is, is what we need to stand up and speak. But courage is also what is needed to admit when you're wrong, to admit when you've made a, you know, a boo-boo. I mean, a lot of people stumble over the truth. But, you know, instead of staring at it and acknowledging it and trying to make sense of how they cannot stumble over it again, they just run away like, oh, yeah, that, that never happened. See y'all. Didn't happen. I didn't do that. You know, it's kind of like when you're in the store and you drop something and it breaks and you just kind of like walk away like, yeah, I don't know how that happened. Ooh. The thing is, as for being duped, as for being in poverty, as for being, you know, in a sticky situation, no one has to be ashamed of where they are or how they feel at that moment to admit it. The real shame is not taking practical measures to ensure that you can escape the situation you're in. And practical measures is saying, all right, stop. <laughs> you know, this is, this is a problem. I messed up. You know, I don't know. I lost my job. What am I going to do? How do I get out of the situation that I'm in? Okay, I messed up. I listened to the wrong people. What do I do? I start listening to my gut. Now, the president knew all about this. He's, he's having fun golfing, just waiting, 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 waiting. Because he's not leaving behind a monument, a pyramid, his face 
in Mount Rushmore, a big, grand, I don't know, toy car, whatever. He's not. What he's leaving is what he has woven into your life, right? And that's understanding what it means to be an American. And rather than worry about mistakes, because humans have the tendency to worry about their own mistakes rather than what their enemies are planning for them, right? You need to focus on that. It doesn't matter if you make mistakes. It doesn't matter if you messed up because it had to be this way. See, without misery, without pain, without suffering, without disease, you cannot see. You cannot see what is good. I've told you that Pandora, though in the myths, has been shaped into a character that was a curious cat that just fuck shit up for opening up a jar, box, whatever you want to call it. No. She showed the biggest act of love ever. And President Trump did the same. He showed you compassion. He showed you support. He showed you love. He gave you tools to understand what it is to be an American, how proud you should be to dictate your own economy, your own wealth, your own direction, right? He did all that. But he also let you see pain, failure, and suffering. That is unconditional love when you don't obfuscate because it's through that that you learn how important to have all those things that he showcased. The great America, how incredible it is. He showed you the most biggest act of love by doing that. All of his foot soldiers, all of his big foot soldiers, from the media to lawyers to staffers to whatever, they failed you because they are only human too. And they gave you expectations. And their expectation is self-fulfillment too. Therefore, instead of listening to the voices from the belly of the beast, they listen to the voices that in a normal world, in a world that's transparent, in a world that makes sense, in a world where everything is documented on whatever system they're looking at, would have worked. They underestimated everything. I'm so glad. And I know you're going to be like, what? I'm glad. I knew. I told you the work starts in 2021. I knew that. I knew that. And I knew that it had to be this way. Because it's the only way that you take your nation back. And now he's just waiting for you. When everyone begs him to come back. Begs him. The only way to do that is by actually doing the work. Don't expect someone else to work it for you. Don't sit back and expect others to do it for you. If you can't, support those who can. If your neighbor can go out there and post the letters for you, bake him a cookie, you know, <laughs> give him a cup of coffee and say, thanks for taking my letter down to the legislature. I'm just saying.
this is an incredible time to be alive. And I know a lot of people are thinking of, this is insane. Our, our nation is going to hell. No, this is exactly what we needed. See, with the OIG thing, people are out, whoa, we're going to get them. But people don't pay attention to reading things. And, and, you know, they think it's a big hope, you know, push. It's really not. It's just he's doing his job and that's it. Everyone is starting to realize. People are starting to fight back. But see, they're fighting back, hitting Biden and Kamala, right? They're corrupt. They're disgusting. We know it. Whatever. They're losers, they're criminals, the whole nine yards. We know that. We know that. But the real people, your real enemies, do you not see them? Do you not see who your real enemies are besides yourself? Who are your real enemies? It's the corporations. It's the damn corporations. They've mind screwed you. They have mesmerized you into everything. They supported this fake administration in a nation that no longer exists. We need to stop being afraid of what mistakes we can make. Because just because many of you don't have an interest in politics doesn't mean that politics doesn't have an interest in you. And this is why we are in this position. Because I don't like politics. Well, then, um, I guess you're not a free citizen. You enjoy slavery. Because that's exactly what we are. And until you face it, that you are actually a slave right now. You know, that you're living a life on your knees. Well, then, then you're still lying to yourself. It's, you're still lying to yourself. Because we are slaves. Your voice doesn't matter. You could say whatever you want. You could say whatever you want. But I can tell you something as a time traveler. My most wisest counsel. My best therapist. Has been time. Because time shows it all. The before, the after, and the way after. Again, freedom doesn't belong to anyone. The only person that possesses actual freedom are those that are willing to defend it. You understand? Because when you sit there and say, well, I'm, I'm done with politics. Well, you may be done with it. They ain't done with you because you're a commodity. You're a commodity. And if you want a free nation, then you need to put the work in. You need to participate. Again. How many of you have at least looked up to see who your state representative is? Your mayor, your county commissioners? That's what's up. You live in a nation that you're supposed to be ruling and dictating, but you don't know who governs you. Governs you. Governs you. I wanted to take a trip back into history of how Greece uh, gained its independence. So the Greeks, unbeknownst to many, because, you know, we only hear about, you know, slaves in America, but we don't hear about actual slavery with genocide. Um, between 1421 and 1821, 
The nation of Greece was occupied by the Turks. This is why there's bad blood between them. They raped their women. They burned their churches. Like they had schools and churches nestled in mountains hiding out to continue the language because they had been taken over. So um, there's this little video. It's not super precise, but it's good enough just to show you when after 400 years, this nation that supposedly brought you science, philosophy, math, astronomy, the Greek gods that were so amazing and had empires for eons got screwed over and were slaves for 400 years. Smart people, right? People that had a history, right? They weren't just like, you know, the United States of America where the nation only exists for like 200 somewhat years. These people had a strong standing history and yet they were slaves for 400 years, okay? Fathom that. Understand that. Now look at what sparked them. Capital of the once great Byzantine Empire, which culturally was a Greek state, was seized by the Ottoman Turkish Sultan Mehmed the Conqueror. With the Byzantines gone, the Ottomans were free to create an empire of their own by conquering the rest of Greece, bar the Ionian Islands, which were ruled by Venice, and then by expanding farther into Europe, Africa, and the Middle East. But the Greek people, as you probably know, didn't just go away after the Ottoman conquest. They weren't supplanted by the Turks. Instead, they lived for centuries under Ottoman control, continuing to speak their own language, maintaining their own cultural practices, and following their own religion, Orthodox Christianity. And, at least to some extent, the Muslim Ottomans left them to their own devices. Yet, nearly four centuries later, in the early 1800s, a new Greek state, the first Hellenic Republic, arose out of a revolution. But why did the Greeks take so long to regain their independence after the fall of Constantinople, and how did they do it? Well, in the direct aftermath of Constantinople's fall, the Greek people, on the whole, accepted their lot as Ottoman subjects. The Byzantine Empire had been on its way out for about two centuries at that point. Greeks also saw economic success as a part of the empire, as Ottoman domination of the eastern Mediterranean allowed for trade to flourish, and many Greeks, notably ones from the Fenar district of Constantinople, were able to achieve high-ranking positions. Okay, it kind of sounds like the TPP, uh, the NAFTA agreements, where at the beginning it's like the honeymoon period. Look, everybody has money, all these loans, look at all this trade. We're all freely moving around, pay attention. Same playbook, different time. And remember, the Greek civilization weren't stupid. They've been around for thousands and thousands of years. While the British were swinging from trees, uh, the Greeks were having restaurants and they had toilets. So, you know, and, and, and sewage, right? So think about that. Understand that concept. Within the Ottoman government. That government, like most at the time, actually didn't divide up its citizens by nationality, though. Instead, they were put into groups called millets based on religion. The millet system was hierarchical, with Islam, the religion of the Turks, at the top. The Greeks belonged to the Greek millet, which was second in importance only behind the Muslims, although that name is something of a misnomer because the millet included all Orthodox Christian subjects of the Ottomans, not just Greeks. They were led by the ecumenical patriarch of Constantinople, the head Orthodox priest. The patriarch held both civil and religious authority over the Greek millet, but more importantly, certainly from the Ottoman perspective, he was also responsible for ensuring that Orthodox Christians remained loyal and paid taxes to the Ottoman Sultan. Which was frankly not an easy job, and more than one patriarch suffered at the hands of the Turks after Orthodox revolts. 
And there were definitely revolts. Sure, the Greek millet had some autonomy from the Ottomans, but at the end of the day, the Greeks were still being ruled over by a foreign power. Orthodox Christians within the empire paid more taxes than their Muslim counterparts. So basically, the people of Greece uh, had their own sub-religion at the beginning. That's the first, you know, 100, 200 years honeymoon period. Um, but they were paying more taxes than the Muslim counterparts. Oh, and I wanted to say a fun fact. You're going to see the Greek soldiers with, like, skirts. I want to tell you about that. So I asked about it. And you're also going to see that they wear, like, these pointy shoes that have, like, a little tuft at the front, like a little ball. Okay, so here's something that I didn't know. Greeks were wearing short skirts, what they call fustanellas, uh, during the war. And I always asked, you know, Greek men are all manly. Why do they... Um, why do they wear skirts? Apparently, they use them so they can go to the bathroom when they were on watch. That's it. So they could go to the bathroom when they were on watch. And so their shoes uh, had like this little pom-pom at the front. And I was like, you know, why was there a pom-pom? This is like decoration, like feathers. And apparently in that pom-pom, they would hide knives and spears so they would kick their enemies and the enemies wouldn't see the weapon. That's pretty, that's pretty hardcore. I mean, I'm just saying that was, that's pretty cool. And in, in Crete, because they would stay on the mountains, um, you know, those MC hammer pants, I kid you not. Okay. The MC hammer pants, their custom wear was like those MC hammer pants. Apparently they would have the crotch so low because they would go to the bathroom and then dump it. Or, you know, so it can hold it without, ew, right? Disgusting. But hey, these are stories of war that people, you know, don't really think about. That's why the Scots wore kilts and went commando. Because when they were at war, they would hold their post and, you know, they wouldn't have to be caught with their pants down. Their word counted for less than a Muslim's in a court of law. And anyone who renounced Islam after converting, as many Greeks, for a variety of reasons, did, was put to death by the Ottomans. So at no point during the centuries of Ottoman rule was Greece ever fully pacified. The main culprits behind that were two groups, the Kleps and the Armatoli. You see, when the Ottomans conquered Greece, they easily controlled the country's plains regions, mostly near the coasts, but they had a much harder time ruling the mountains inland. The Kleps were basically Greek mountain brigands who defied the Ottoman state but preyed upon both Muslims and Christians alike. The Armatoli, on the other hand, were actually the same group of people, mountain Greeks, the only difference being that instead of stealing, the Armatoli were paid by the Ottomans to fight off the Kleps. Which sort of worked, but one day's Armatolos could easily be the next day's Klept, or vice versa, depending on whether there was more money to be made in robbery or by taking a paycheck from the Turks. The key things to keep in mind are that both the Kleps and... So basically, cleft, the, the Kleftis, right, the, the thieves, um, were patriots. They would fight off the Turks, uh, but as long as they made money. The other guys were mercenaries that would steal and make money on anyone's back anyway. They weren't patriots, they were infiltrators. Just applying it to today so you can see it. And the Armatoli were warriors, and neither were all that loyal to the Ottomans. To the Greek people, though, especially towards the end of Ottoman rule in Greece, the Kleps in particular became heroes for their attacks against symbols of the Ottoman state. So the first major Greek revolt took place in 1770. Two years earlier, the Ottoman Empire and Russia had gone to war, not, by the way, for the first or last time, 
And the Russians, looking for a way to gain an advantage over the Turks, turned to the Ottoman Empire's Orthodox Christian population, including the Greeks. The Russians were also Orthodox, and they were increasingly acting as the protector of Orthodox Christians living under Ottoman rule. Of course, one could argue that their interest was just a mask for their own imperialistic ambitions in the Balkans and elsewhere, but either way, as the 18th century drew to a close and the 19th began, Russia became a major player in the affairs of Greece. So they sent a fleet under Admiral Alexei Orlov, as well as an expeditionary force of a few hundred soldiers, to instigate a Greek revolt in Moria, southern Greece. Revolution also broke out on Crete, but the Cretan revolutionaries were mostly left to fend for themselves by the Russians, and they were eventually put down by a much larger Ottoman force. Back on the mainland, the Greeks, with their Russian allies, did have some initial success, and they took over Laconia, near the ancient city of Sparta. But they failed to take over the more fortified north and east, including the region's administrative center, Tripolitsa. At sea, Orlov's Russian fleet won several battles against a much larger Turkish one. Notably, they won the Battle of Chesme in July of 1770 and burnt over 60 Ottoman ships while losing only five of their own. However, while they dominated on the water, on land, Russia failed to live up to its commitments to the Greeks. Their expeditionary force was much, much smaller than what was promised to Greek leaders, and without that support, few Greeks rose up and the Orlov revolt was crushed by mid-1771. So the Russians, like I said, always see themselves as someone that protects Christianity. And when it comes down to it, they bump away. But I wanted you to see that. So the Russians promised that they would help, right? But they didn't bring such big of a force or they didn't take lead. So the Greeks that were pumped up to help didn't see big support like a knight in shining armor. So they were just like, oh, fuck it. Let's just roll over. That's basically what happened. Still, Russia got what they wanted out of it. Come 1774, a treaty ended their war with the Ottomans. Russia gained territory on the Black Sea coast, in the Caucasus and Ukraine. They forced the Ottomans to relinquish control of the Crimean Khanate, which Russia would later annex, and secured their position as protector of the Orthodox faith. The Greeks, on the other hand, suffered immensely. Besides still lacking a state, across the Ottoman Empire, anti-Greek massacres left cities in ruins and resulted in the deaths of thousands. Orthodox bishops were killed left, right, and center for not preventing the revolt. Remember that the Greek melet, led by the clergy, was meant to keep the Orthodox Christians loyal. So basically, what the Ottomans did was they kept the leaders of the Greeks in check, and if they didn't do their job, they would hang them. So basically, the Republicans were supposed to keep you in check, but because they didn't, they're hanging them. I want you to pay attention to that. Think about it. The Patriarch himself, Miletius II, escaped execution, but was removed from his position and banished. The next generation of Greek revolutionary leaders would not be so quick to rely on Russia, and instead turned to the West. However, the revolutionaries in Laconia, and for a short time on Crete as well, had established their own local Greek administrations, free from Turkish rule, for the first time in centuries. And that brief taste of independence whetted their appetite. Over the next 50 years, Hellenism, a sense of Greek national identity, gained considerable strength, and by the 1820s, it had penetrated every level of Greek society, including many in the clergy. So I want you guys to pay attention to this, because this happened over 400 years. We had this happen over four years, right? Where everyone was finding alliances, we had patriots, infiltrators, mercenaries, and then people got their feet wet in something called nationalism and kind of liked it. And they picked a leader and they liked that. 
and they were going through it. It was grassroots movements. Here's where the revolution and success began. This time around, the Greek people both wanted independence and many more were ready to fight for it. In 1814, the Feliki Ateria, or the Friendly Brotherhood, the secret society that planned the Greek War of Independence, was founded in Edessa, then a part of the Russian Empire, today in Ukraine. It was led by Alexandrus Ypsilantis, a Phenariot Greek who had fought for Russia during the Napoleonic Wars. The Brotherhood's plan called for revolution in mid-March 1821, but after Turkish authorities discovered the plot, Ypsilantis launched an invasion of Ottoman Moldavia early. His force was quickly put down by the Turks, and Ypsilantis was forced to flee to Austria, and he died there in 1828. But the plan he had put into motion continued without him. Revolts broke out in Moria and central Greece in March 1821. Within just over a year, the Greeks had control over all of Moria, the land around the city of Athens, and Crete. Tripolitza had fallen to the Klept leader, Theodoros Kolokotronis, in October. The Klepts and Armatoli made up the backbone of Greek revolutionary forces. In January 1822, the rebels officially declared Greece's independence. However, there were still some issues. For one, the Ottomans had no intention of just accepting Greek independence. Just like in the aftermath of the Orlov revolt, Greeks were slaughtered across the Ottoman Empire in retaliation for the revolutionaries' actions. This time, Patriarch Gregorius V was hanged in Constantinople for failing to prevent the revolt, despite having preached against it in his sermons. And in the summer of 1822, the Ottomans counterattacked. They regained a foothold on Crete and attempted to push south from central Greece to put down the rebellion once and for all. And they did manage to briefly seize Athens, but the Greeks, under Kolokotronis' command, repelled them and retook the city by the end of the year. The Greek struggle drew a great amount of sympathy and aid from Western Europe, but at least at first, that support only came from individuals, notably the English romantic poet Lord Byron, not governments. Byron, by the way, would die in the city of Missolonghi in 1824. His death in Greece helped sway public opinion in Europe to the Greek courts. Europeans who supported the Hellenic Republic, called Philhellenes, essentially saw the Greek war against the Turks as an attempt at reviving the ideals of ancient Greece, ideals like democracy that they themselves either had or sought to have in their own lives. In short, many in Europe felt that they owed a great cultural debt to the Greeks. Governments, on the other hand, specifically those of the United Kingdom and France, were much more interested in preserving the balance of power in Europe that had been established in 1815 after the defeat of Napoleonic France. Something that a considerably weakened Ottoman Empire would have threatened because Russia was still eager to take control of the Balkans. So basically, what is this telling you? So the story goes that people uprose, they started to take back their nation, which is exactly what we're seeing now. You may not be seeing it. I'm telling you it's happening. This is happening. But what happened? The other nations that were like, yo, this is messed up, right? Stolen elections, all this stuff. These people are good people. You know, they, they've given us so much. We can't just let this happen. The leaders are like, yeah, you know, I feel for you. Maybe we'll send a poet, a couple of, uh, you know, people that like Americans. Maybe people will stand in solidarity. Maybe, you know, this Q global movement will stand with them. But, you know, we're not really going to help because we're worried about the power we have in our nations right now and the struggle we have to maintain that power. This is this is textbook. This is same template, same thing. The one thing that changes is the human aspect of it, of when people revolt and how fast. How tolerant are they of pain? Public opinion and a need to prevent Russia from acting unilaterally would eventually change the Anglo-French position. But still, 
European powers wouldn't interfere in Greece until 1827. Unfortunately, the Greeks really could have used that help earlier. Not one, but two civil wars between the newly established Hellenic government and the forces of Theodoros Kolokotronis, who had gone a bit rogue, left the revolutionaries vulnerable to attack. A vulnerability that was exploited by the Egyptians, Egypt was an Ottoman vassal, who invaded Moria in 1825. By October 1827, Missolonghi had been retaken for the Ottomans as well as almost all Greek territory outside of Crete and Moria. But in that year, Europe acted. A combined British, French, and Russian fleet devastated the Ottoman-Egyptian one at the Battle of Navarino. At the same time, the Greeks, later with the aid of a French expeditionary force, took Athens, several Aegean islands, and then pushed north. They also fully conquered Crete. By the end of 1828, the Hellenic Republic and the Ottomans reached a territorial stalemate, in no small part because that year Russia invaded the Ottoman Empire, and by August 1829, they had cut off Greece and all of the Ottomans' European territories from the capital. In 1832, the London Conference and negotiation between the Great Powers and the Ottomans produced the Treaty of Constantinople, which defined Greece as an independent kingdom with these borders. Notably, they lost Crete. A Bavarian prince, Otto von Wittelsbach, was selected by the Great Powers and accepted by the Greek National Assembly as King Otto I of an independent Greece. If you enjoyed this video, don't forget to subscribe and hit... In other words, the corporations came in and saved the day, supposedly. Now, here's the thing. None of our allies are free nations. They all abide under the same master, and that's the corporation. None of them will come to save you. None of them will fight the war. They have already succumbed years ago. And that was with the establishment of the Paris Treaty. Did you know that the first Paris Accord, the Paris Accord was actually signed in 1786? It's like they knew climate change was happening. Actually, like do your homework. Check it out yourself. Um, so you have to know that this, this whole takeover of mankind to be governed by one has been planned for a very long time. And you yourself have empowered those people that have decided that they will take your nation and your freedom. As long as you obey, you'll be fine. As long as you listen, you'll be fine. You'll have food in your belly and maybe we'll give you this opportunity to maybe get a better job. Uh, you will never reach the ranks of us. But, you know, you'll enjoy on your lower level, you know, living quarters, um, a higher life. This is it. Your upper, your higher processes are already pre-programmed to enslave you. <laughs> it's like this meme that I saw going around where someone says, hey, Amish guy, how come you guys don't have coronavirus? And they're like, because we don't have a TV. Exactly. You can't be programmed if you're not susceptible to it. So susceptibility is key here. How susceptible are you to uh, your expectations and the rewards that you get? So people start to, I would say, balance out what their expectations are based on uh, what knowledge they have. Now, there's an actual... Um, clip showing the brain dopamine re reward system about the neural basis of mind-body pain therapies that they use in regards to expectation of clinical benefit with reward anticipation. So what reward you anticipate equates to the expectation. I want you guys to listen to this 
because there's a science behind that. And boy, do you know that they're using the science on their side like crazy. This is from the NIH. I think this was um, a lecture from uh, 2013. There we go. That's what it says. It's 2013 when they uploaded it. I want you guys to pay attention to see. See, if you know these things about humans, then it's very, very easy to manipulate them. And as I said, many movements were hijacked and they were allowed to be hijacked. Some messages resonated differently. Others from those that believe they knew best. Expectation and reward of, of that, that this expect, expectation of clinical benefit may be a type of, of uh, reward anticipation. That is, there's a whole literature about dopamine and the reward system, and that when you, somebody gives you a pill or a shot and says it's going to make your pain go away, it's like a reward. Okay, I have pain, and now it's going to get better, and that's a reward relative to your state before. And so we, we looked at how this uh, that may, be, may involve this whole dopamine mesolimbic reward system. So we did uh, uh, a placebo experiment where we injected hypertonic saline into the anterior tibialis muscle uh, that creates a burning pain. That's me. But... <laughs> I wasn't, I was, I was just testing it out. But anyway, it gives, it gives a burning muscle pain. And uh, then we put this, we put a, you know, a cream, say this is a powerful analgesic cream that, that relieves muscle pain, new analgesic cream for, for relieving muscle pain. And then with, you know, with, with, with or without the cream, we find that without the cream here, if we have people rate on, on a scale of no sensation, the pain threshold of the most intense pain, tolerable, that we're ready to walk out of the experiment, then we have a pain that's in this, this range here. And we do the analgesic cream, it goes down. It's not a huge effect, but then again, this is about the same effect as you get with an opiate. So it's, it's uh, with these types of scales, uh, that's, that's not a bad pain relief. Uh, but what we found is that, in fact, that's, that's an average. This is an average of all the subjects. Some people had a huge pain relief. Some people had no pain relief. And this seems to be the case with the placebo experiments. There's a lot of variability in placebo responsiveness. So if we look at, not very good pictures, but anyway, this is showing how much of a placebo effect the person had. And this is looking at taking anatomical scans of the brain and looking at this, the size of different parts of the brain. And we found that people with, that had more of an analgesic response to the placebo had larger ventral striati and larger, larger prefrontal cortices than the ones that didn't. Uh, and that, that there's actually an anatomical correlate of how much of a placebo response they're going to get. And then we, there's various uh, psychological tests, trait type tests for looking at, at a person's uh, tendency to that, that is related to dopamine uh, transmission. These are, these are dopamine-related traits. And there are such things as novelty-seeking, behavioral drive, fun-seeking, reward-responsiveness, and the opposite of, of avoiding harm. I have one person in my lab, a skydiver, Lucy Flo, that, is, uh, that rates really high on this. <laughs> so, uh, and, uh, but, but people that rate high on these scales are also have larger, again, anatomically, they, their uh, ventral striatum and, uh, and dorsolateral prefrontal cortices are larger than people that rate low on these same scales. 
And these are the same areas of showing that, that are involved in the placebo responsiveness. So uh, it kind of comes full circle that the, uh, the, the more they respond to placebo, the larger these areas, and the larger these areas, the more they have these dopamine-related traits, suggesting, again, that this whole system uh, can, is important for uh, placebo analgesia and also is important to explain why some people respond better to placebo than other people. So it suggests that individuals high in dopamine-related traits maybe better placebo responders than those that aren't. So this is another type of thing that we want to follow up about, about the, the traits of people and why are the factors that are important for placebo responsiveness. So people that have these traits, right. it suggests that people that have that, uh, that are higher in dopamine related traits may be better placebo responders, meaning that some people trust their gut more, right? And what they tell themselves than what, you know, is provided to them via medicine or um, reinforcement by others. And, and that's conditioning and that's actually biological. I mean, you could blame the soy in the water, you could blame the, the media, but in essence, you know, there's no one else to blame but yourself. We always have to blame ourselves. And, and uh, it's, it's through that that we understand more. Now, huh, my computer's acting crazy, isn't it? There we go. Maybe that'll fix it. Nope, it's not. Looks crazy, right? <laughs> we always blame ourselves. And that's fine because blaming ourselves is normal because by blaming yourself, then you seek to find out where you went wrong, acknowledging the problem and moving ahead. So one might say, what's the problem now? Well, the problem is, is that we need to get busy and you're not getting busy per se, not everyone. But a lot of you are getting busy, and that's really, really, really important. So um, the Foreign Emoluments Clause restricts members of the federal government from accepting gifts or financial compensation from foreign states without congressional consent. That's being called into question after the Supreme Court dismissed several lawsuits against former President Trump, calling them moot now that he is out of office. So they say that, oh, if you uh, had this issue, then it's, you know, since you're out of office, we're not going to apply it. Now, there was no issue with the emoluments clause. But what this does set is precedent that, like, for example, we know that Joe Biden's campaign received over $70 million from George Soros, right? We know this. So who's going to hold that accountability? Who's going to talk about that and who's going to push it? That's a question people should ask. Hold on. Let's um, take a listen to Bill O'Reilly. Here we go. My friends in Los Angeles, I told you all want to get out. Now they have another reason. So Los Angeles County is the largest in the United States of America. They just elected a new district attorney. Oh, George Gascon. I guess that's how you pronounce his name. Gascon, something like that. Gascon, George, all right? Uh, guess who gave George 2.5 million for his campaign? 
Would that be George Soros? Oh, yes, it would. So this Gasson guy, he's the most liberal guy I've ever seen. He's knocking out. Ready? You're not going to have bail for any misdemeanor or nonviolent felony offense. That means you sell heroin, no bail. Meth, no bail. Nothing. You're not going to be prosecuted under the gang enhancement statute. That means if you're in a gang recognized by law enforcement, you get a stiffer sentence. That goes. Why? Because George wants to rehab all the criminals. Which I'm not against rehabbing criminals, but this is just a point. Now, a lot of people are arguing, well, George Soros is an American citizen. Well, all his money is based overseas and he represents different governments. We got to talk color revolution again. I got to bring that up now that you see it in front of you. What is it? Open societies. See that in front of you. Now, aside from that, I wanted to bring your attention to something else. We have a supposed president select in the White House right now that has just given the green light to allow foreign nations to have power and access to our power grids. Now, when that happens, that means that they have access to our actual power, which means they control what we can see. They can put us in the darkness. They can annihilate us. Yet, that's a president that you want in the United States? What are you going to do about it? I can't do anything about it. The media is like, uh, totally supporting him. No, you don't have to sit down. There are so many things you can do. So many things. And that's the problem, that you don't see that. You don't see just how you can take that down. This is where you can demand your attorney general to file a claim against the so-called president-select Biden admin and say, we as a state do not allow foreign nations to have power in our power grids in our state. Where are you guys? That's what you do. You use the weapons you have. We don't need to use guns. We don't need to use muskets. We don't need to go slaughter people in their sleep in the middle of the night on Christmas Day. We can use the tools that we still have. So this is all you have to do. Pound your phone with the AG and say, hey, yo, I just heard, I just heard that the United States is rescinding the order banning foreign involvement in U.S. power grids. What are you doing for my state, dude? Well, you know, it is the, I don't give a, sh this is my state. He could say whatever he wants. He could do what he wants in the District of Columbia, but I don't want any Chinese person, Russian person, African, European, Asian, Australian, Antarctican, alien, whatever, to be able to turn my lights on and off and my access to communication on and off. That's what you say. And if your AG says, well, you know, it's something you don't want to do it. That's fine. I'm going to start a way to recall your ass. The minute you start pushing, they will do what you say. You need to remind them that they serve you. And if they do not serve you, they go and you replace them with someone who will. That is your power. Use it. You should be already, as you're listening to me, looking up your AG's website, finding his email and saying, I demand you contest that order that the president 
of select of America, Biden, has put out allowing foreign governments to access our power grid. I demand you do something right now. My state is not going to have Chinese-run power grids. I don't want some guy, Xi Jinping, or Vladimir Putin, or Merkel, flipping a switch and putting me into darkness. I refuse that. And if I'm paying your salary, and I'm paying power in my state, and I'm doing all this, and you're taking my money, there is no way I'm going to let another nation get involved. Fix it. Fix my state. Do your job. Advocate for me. That is your job as attorney general to stick up for the state. You are my state's lawyer. Move your tush. That's all you have to do. Boom. That's all you have to do. All you have to do is that. And in the meantime, while you're fighting back, they're infecting you with fear porn. Oh, are, are you supporting Donald Trump? Are you going against Biden? Did you just speak up against Kamala Harris saying she's not African, that she's Indian? Oh, well, then you're going to go to jail for what? Because we said so. You're going to lose your job for what? Because we said so. We're going to put you up against the fire squad because we said so. Huh? I'm going to label you as a domestic terrorist. Oh, go ahead. Do it. Law says you can't. Oh, you're going to make the law that says you can't? Great. You can make your federal law. I'll fix my state. And in that case, my state will fix it for me because I still have that power. That's the thing. You have to move quick. The more you sit there and you mope and you kick the rock down the thing, the more they come in. Ah, uh, Letitia James, remember her? I'm going to run. Vote for me. I'm going to get Trump. That's what she ran on. And she was allowed to run. And none of you said anything. You were too busy trying to decode. You were too busy following people that were giving you clues Rather than looking at reason, looking at reason, looking at those drops at face value, not what some person was telling you they are. At face value, damn, you had the OGs right in front of you. But okay, okay. What's done is done. So now get up and fix it. Fix it. Because mm, that's the way it had to be. Or else you wouldn't be empowered to do anything. You'd sit there and get comfortable with the dad bod, right? That's what happens. We get comfortable. Now, apparently, there was um, a top advisor revealed President Trump's future plans. Did you hear about that? Maybe you should listen to that. Take a listen. Days after leaving the White House, former President Trump can now rest up in Florida. But what are his plans for the future? One of his top advisors revealed some potential plans. Top Trump advisor Jason Miller tells Just the News that former President Trump has a number of goals in the next couple of years. One of his major goals is to win back the Senate and the House for Republicans in the 2022 midterm elections. This is to stop what he calls, quote, the Democratic craziness. The Democratic Party currently holds a majority in both the House and the Senate. Miller also reveals Trump plans to be the nation's leader on voter integrity. He expects Trump to work closely with state legislatures to ensure election integrity. Miller adds that Trump will start after undergoing a transition period first. But because Democrats are in control of both Congress and the White House, Miller does not believe Washington will address the issue of election integrity. Although Trump has not said whether he will run for president again in 2024, 
He told his supporters before leaving office on Wednesday that, quote, we will be back in some form. He also said in his farewell video on Tuesday that, quote, the movement we started is only just beginning. On the same day, Miller tweeted a picture of the White House with the caption that says, until 2025. In California, a pastor avoids jail time for not complying with virus guidelines. Instead, he's facing $1 million in fines. NTD's David Lamb hears from those involved outside the courthouse. Santa Clara County called for the arrest and jail time for Pastor Mike McClure and Pastor Carson Atherley for not enforcing church members to follow COVID guidelines. The attorney representing the pastors, Robert Tyler, said that jail time is possible, but the court is seeking monetary fines rather than jail time. This was after a rally and hearing at the San Jose courthouse yesterday. So um, at this point in time, it, it does appear to be off the table. I don't think we're going to be looking at these gentlemen in handcuffs anytime soon. Organizers and supporters of the pastors met before the court hearing. How is that a win that they're not going to jail? Oh, that they're going to pay fines. So that's a win. That's still a jail because you're still giving your hard earned cash to not go to jail. In what part of the Constitution does it say that you can be jailed for not wearing a muzzle? In what part of the Constitution does it say that without evidence of you being a danger, they jail you? It doesn't say it anywhere, does it? But look at them cheer. We can't enforce uh, someone else's, it's not even a law, I shouldn't say their rules, their mandates. Uh, we don't have the authority to enforce it. Um, specifically masks, it's, it's a medical device. McClure reopened his church, Calvary Chapel San Jose, last year. The fines have accumulated to over $1 million. It's sad to see the state in which our country is, where you have the state fighting against the church or the church against the state. What we need to is remember that what made America great was, was, was our trust in God. We were united under this understanding that this is a great nation to be in, and I still believe this is a great nation. The pastors believe that places of worship help the community's mental health during the pandemic. When you hear from Pastor McClure talking about the lives that have changed because they're coming together and, and having the opportunity to meet and souls that are being saved and lives that are literally saved from suicide. Remember in March where we had that show where I told you that these masks that are coming were not for the purpose of just visually enslaving you, but they were what? To make you fear another person to cut off social interaction, to dehumanize other people. That is exactly what they wanted to do. This is how they operate. That is the whole purpose of this mask. The mask itself says that it does not help you against viruses. It tells you the truth. Yet the truth is in your face and you see it with your eyes, but people don't believe in the truth anymore. Remember, I couldn't see it until I believed it. And the problem that we have now with the majority of society across the planet is to use <laughs> truth as it is, face value. I type something, it's at face value. I drop something, it's at face value. I tell you something, it's at face value. What happened to the naked truth? Hmm? Naked truth? Where's the naked truth? Oh, you have to believe it to see it, right? You have to believe the truth. So it's not about truth. It's about what you believe. They've been saying that 
It's not about truth. It's about what you believe. Face value, face value, face value. I've been telling you who I am all along. Has anybody else? I don't think so. But face value means nothing to a lot of people. Nothing. Wait, where's that other extreme viruses? And we don't need to see that. We don't need fear porn on this channel. There's enough of that everywhere else. Oh my gosh. I'm going to take a break. I need my coffee. So let's listen to this jam. So I'm back. I needed a break. And it's because I'm a little bit frustrated with my system. I'm sure all of you can see this happening. Hold on. Let me uh, get in there. <laughs> For those of you that are watching, pretty sure you can see this really messed up Tori says thing across my screen. So it's actually very frustrating uh, when I'm dealing with technical issues uh, at the same time. Now, Months ago, I've, uh, I expressed to you how important it is that you realize just how much power you have. I told you that there would be another party. This is way before anyone discussed it because I've been telling you time travel and all. I already knew what's coming. I already know how it's happening. Now, the one thing that people don't seem to realize is they believe that there's going to be some going back to normal thing or that things are going to be instantly happening the way they should be. Here's how it really goes, right? What happens is, is that when you're empowered, have you ever been in a position where you're doing something so much, you love it so much, you feel so good, so empowered because things are going your way, you know? How do you feel when you're in the pocket, when you're in the pocket of doing something, right? Uh, either that be art, cooking, or you're completing a task like building a house or your shed or a dog house, right? You're in that pocket and you feel so good. Like I said, at the end of February, you're going to see how everything feels so good. You're in that zone. And the zone that we need to get into is that we're in control. We need to keep reminding people of how that works. Now, the Patriot Party, what name are we going to have for it? Could it be the Patriot Party? Could it be the rebirth of America Reform Party? Short-term roar. What is it? Whatever it is, we need to get that thing filed real quick. Because when we're sending off information, that's the way it goes. And the leader of that party is none other than President Trump. Yep, still my president. And that's the way it goes. I think roar sounds good too. Reform of the, America, of the rebirth of America Party. I think that's really good because our nation was born in 1776 and it was destroyed the next day. They already had plans. This is 1776 2.0. Now, I had said Patriot Party because I knew it was going to be filled with patriots. Doesn't mean we stick to it because I don't like the PP, CCP, PP, everything public, Republic, everything. We need to stay away from words. Words are spells. That's why we call it spelling. So we have to use the right words. Patriot is now equated to 
nationalism, which is now equated to white supremacy. You can't use those words. They've taken those words and they took it. You know, we the people would be great, but it's, you know, People's Party of People's Republic of China, right? <laughs> you have to remember, they use words that are good for evil and evil words for good. The rebirth of American Republic. I like that. Roar. The rebirth of the American Republic. I actually like that. The big ass lion, because that's what our president is, a lion. He came in hard as ever, and he shocked the world. And now you're watching them dismantle everything he did. But, you know, everyone's starting to see, damn, if there's a new Patriot Party, I guess a lot of people are dropping the GOP. How many of you are getting emails like crazy? I get at least 20 of them a day from random people. Give us money. GOP, here's a notice. You're not getting a penny, a penny from any of us. Ronna McDaniel was the RNC chair. We yelled, we screamed, we exposed her and her spy, and you fucked up. Guess what? You don't see a penny. You are no different than the Democratic Party. You're a uniparty. You get zero dollars, zero dollars. We're creating our own party and we're going to be giving the money straight to the individual, straight there. We don't need campaign financing. We don't need any. Hey, are you running? Run yourself uh, the way you want. People will just donate to you freely as a gift. On your own dime, dude, we're giving it to you. That's what's up. In the state of Ohio, when we're going to be removing these legislators starting this week, starting this week, we have we have to wait seven days. So that means the letter goes out today. We got to get a response by Monday. So, uh, or I guess it'll be stamped for tomorrow, right? Because I'm going to drop it in the mail at five. So yeah, so it'll be tomorrow. So Tuesday to Tuesday. Response, we're ready. Let's go. We're going to start with the smallest counties, right? The ones that have like 3,000 people that voted. Boom. We go in there. All we need is 300 signature. Done, 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 done. And what we'll do is, the people that are within the groups that are collecting the signatures that are from that county, from that section, that area of who we're removing, guess what? One of you guys are going to run and we're going to get you in. We're going to get you in. We are going to get you in. That's the way it is. Because if we slam them with 50 recalls at once, it'll hit them so hard their heads will spin. So this is about organizing. And I know all the other states are going to follow. We're going to hit all the other states. Ohio's just low-hanging fruit. I mean, look at Portman Fold after one stupid phone call. <laughs> I'm not running. Dude, everything will be exposed. There is no mercy. And if you think, you know, you're a problem, wait till you see what I got coming out on the first sun. Because, you know, I've been saying about, oh, animals, you know, there's they, some animals have more rights than others, like George Orwell said, right, in Animal Farm. Well, they have documented evidence, videos, photos, emails, texts, that the whole first family knew that a 12-year-old girl was being sexually abused and none of them did it. Even the mother knew. Actually, the mother was using it to her advantage to get paid out. That's disgusting. That's a crime. But the laws don't apply to them. Kind of like in Cleveland today, breaking news, 
you know, the grandson of the mayor only got a bond of $50,000, which is what, like 5,000 bucks, maybe 500 bucks to get out. Do you know what he did? Do you know what he did? After midnight, he, he, the, the mayor's grandson was pulled over because his windows were too dark. The police didn't know it was the mayor's son, whatever. They stopped him. And he himself consented to the search of the vehicle. Um, but as he was consenting, he drove off as the police officer was holding on. He just sped off and dragged the officer along the pavement until the officer freed himself. Now, that made, uh, you know, there was a high-speed chase um, all Saturday, you know, Saturday, Saturday early, early hours of Sunday, right? And then in the end, the mayor's grandson turned himself in at like 3 o'clock in the morning. So this guy not only harmed the police officer by running away and dragging him, right? But in essence, he was also, you know, he did a high-speed chase that put other people at risk. He was speeding down the road, all of these things. And he was, and, and, and he's off on 50,000 bail. Um, in this month, last year, in January, he was sentenced to 18 months probation because of a 90, instead of a 90 day, for a 90 day suspended jail sentence for assaulting an 18 year old girl in 2019. He beat the woman with a trailer hitch, choked her, punched her, and pulled her across the lawn by her hair. And he got probation. And now he drags a cop along the street, runs through the streets on a high-speed chase, and gets a $50,000 bond because he's the mayor's grandson. Some animals are more equal than others. Do you get it? So if that was you or that was me, just with the trailer hitch beat up, trailer hitch. Now those things, you know, I think they're heavier than a damn crowbar, okay? Those are heavy. I, I had to install one when I was moving on, the, on a car, you know, <laughs> those are heavy. That's crazy. Think about it. That's crazy. And yet, for some reason, people are like, yeah, well, we can't do it. Yes, we can. This is where, you know, Tori gets excited and says, all right, judicial system, this messed up. Because if that was me, I would have been in jail at the trailer hitch part. I need a review. This is where we file a letter for judicial review. And to examine the uh, some animals have more rights than others. Right. So that's pretty interesting. Now, in the meantime, while we're all talking about throttling of free speech, right now we have Twitter putting out this new thing called Birdwatch, where people can fact check tweets and tell people if they're helpful or unhelpful. Just a faster way of crowdsourcing to ban you from their platform. Fuck you, Twitter. You're going to tank because no one's going to use it. We like Gab. There we go. We're good. We got Telegram. There you go. And if we don't have that, we got a lot more. There are tons of stuff. Because don't forget, it's in America that we create these projects. And you can't own everything. In fact, we own you. Because don't forget, the Twitter's majority income is from federal contracts. And we have the right to demand that those companies do not get those contracts at all. At all. Pretty interesting. Another thing that's really, really bizarre is that BlackBerry is trending again. 
Hmm. Blackberry is trending again? What's going on? Don't know. You tell me. Speaking of blackberries. So there's a lot going on. A lot that you don't see. And while people are telling you the president is working on this, president is working on that, what you guys need to be focused on is what you're doing. Don't look at what everybody else is doing. Don't look at what the president is doing. You know, obviously, when he speaks to you, he will, because you always go silent when you're busy. Okay? Always go silent when you're busy. But what you need to focus on is you. What are you doing for your community? You're not the underdog. They are. You know, a lot of people look up to other people. I see in the chat, oh, look at Jack Posobiec. Jack Posobiec was a PAO. That's a psyoper for China. And yet, for some reason, you think he's going to forget all his training, right, of being a psyoper for China, and he's going to be dead honest with you. I mean, I can't wake you up. I don't want to call you out either. And I don't need to point things out. You should use your own discernment. You should always know how to trust your God. You should always know how to sit back and listen carefully. Public affairs officer, that's what a PAO is. It's a fancy word for psyoper. So it's like, you know, it's like I don't spoon feed people. And the fact that many people want to be spoon fed is, is the problem. You should want to know these things yourself. You should understand exactly who sits where by now. Because if you don't understand where they sit right now, I would highly suggest to just not pay attention to any of that and focus on you. That's it. Stop saying, I listened to this. Oh, did you see this video? So-and-so foretold. So-and-so this. Focus on you. Why are you focusing? Focus on truth. Naked truth. The way it is. Not hints. Not anything. Naked freaking truth. Naked truth. Naked truth is, I told you who unmasked Flynn in 2018 before anybody had the list. Nobody was paying attention. Why? Because what was the statement? Huh. Your ears could not hear me. You did not have the ability to hear me. So those of you that are listening now, you should be paying attention to the words that I'm telling you. Focus on yourself. Listen to no one. Don't even listen to me. No one. Focus on yourself. Stop waiting for some hallelujah. Stop asking, confirm this. Tell me about so-and-so. Stop it. Focus on you. Focus on you. Focus on you. And everything makes sense. Then you can see everything. You can't see anything if you're wearing it with so-and-so's glasses, so-and-so's words, so-and-so's tweets, so-and-so's articles. Focus on you. That's it. All you have to do is focus on you, and then you can see everything. You can understand everything. That's all. You need to trust your gut. You need to start listening to that inner voice that tells you exactly what's right and what's wrong. Because huh. no matter how many times someone is explicit with words, explicit with truth, kind of like the saying goes, hmm. I couldn't see it until I believed it. So the question is, do you believe in your gut and what it tells you? Can you think of your own self? I mean, right now, our state of the union is such a hot mess. A hot mess. 
many people are poisoning you with. If we pivot away from the GOP and we create a new party, it'll just give more votes to the Democrats. Uh, no, it won't. No, it won't. The Democrats had diddly squat for votes anyway. They had absolutely nothing. Which brings me to, let me share this with you. Hold on. Let me find it. All right. So today, the DDoS attack, of course, was thanks to this article, which is President Select Biden. Now, obviously here I'm showing you corporations that propped up this election. But what was interesting in this is that, you know, I was trying to give you guys, hey, when we all think alike, then no one is thinking. You got to think. But key here is this. Look at this. Possible illegal votes, 254,000. Biden won by 10,000. So no one looked at this. Hmm? Possible illegal votes, 600,000. He won by 11,000. Possible illegal votes, 446,000. He won by 154,000. Possible illegal votes, 220,000. He won by 33. Possible, look at that. Look at that difference. Trump won by a landslide. And, you know, nobody, nobody is paying attention to the key numbers and looking at them as facts. Now, this is a report that Navarro put out about the immaculate deception. He put out the voting irregularities, the illegalities by category, by state, showed the margin of error and victory was over 24 times the amount. 24 times. 24 times more, which means he definitely won. Yet they stole the elections right in front of your eyes. Nobody cares, like I said. 51 more times, 2.8 times, 6 times more, 12 times more, all of this. All of this, 26 times more, 10 times more. Look at that margin of error. These are all these <laughs> citations. This is all raw data. This is all truth and factual data. But like I said, 2021 is the year of disappointment. Disappoint. Finally showed up in the early 16th century. Although the prefix dis in disappointment, as usual English means not, the story of disappointment is more than just a simple negation of a point. In its various senses, the source of disappoint was the fresh French desappointer, which meant specifically to undo an appointment, to deprive an appointment, office, or position to remove from an office that had been previously granted by official power. Disappointment. If you have the power to appoint a president, do you not have a power to remove them? Does that mean you have to wait? Does that mean you have to sit and wait until the next election comes along? Like Portman's like, don't impeach me. Don't remove me. I'm just not going to run again. No, dude. We're not only removing you, we're confiscating all your shit too. Because you made a crap ton of money on the backs of Ohio residents, on federal tax dollars that you stole. We're taking all of it back. So here it is. Disappointment. So the last question on my article is, how long will this regime be allowed to rule? 
I don't know, my fellow Americans, that's up to you. How much work are you willing to do to fix this? It doesn't take a lot. I mean, think about it. Imagine if all of us right now that are alive right now together, I can see eight and a half thousand of you. And I know that this is going further, 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 further out to places that I can't see the numbers on. If all of us descended in one state, gathered the signatures, we'd be done in a day. And like I said, we're going to start with the smaller counties, middle counties, whatever, but we're not going to file them one after another. We're going to file them all at once, right? We're going to make it so their heads spin, something unprecedented. How many are there? 50. We're going to file all 50 in one day. How many are there? 20. We're going to file all 20 in one day. And then we'll just add the governor on the side. And we'll just add the secretary of state on the side. We'll also have a backup for the AG of the state. We'll just remove all of them because we can. Because we can. So again, we're going to cause such a wave. It's ridiculous. Ridunculous. So now the letter goes out. And this next week, all we're doing is profiling every single one of them from money to associations to shenanigans, to funding, to cars, to arrests, to, to, to everything. Remember, we did get the House Speaker of Ohio indicted for RICO. We did that. Hmm? That happened really quick. Holy Toledo happened too. Remember, I talked about it. I was a busy little bee. Talked about it. So it's important for people to understand we have more power than any one of them sitting in any office right now. We have more power than anything. The thing is, you just have to see it. You have to see how much power you yield. And hopefully, the actions that we take in the state of Ohio will empower the rest of America to follow suit. I mean, even if they don't, we're going to do it for them, right? All right. So take a listen to this. Trump deserves this. Trump has been not president for two days, and the mainstream media and so many people are acting like he never existed. They talk about impeachment. That's about it. Look, I know we have a new president, but Donald Trump changed the world. He changed American culture. He changed American politics. And this is totally bizarre for me that he's not still in office. And we're not hearing from him on Twitter, of course. But here's the deal. I hear he's relaxing and playing a lot of golf. He's done that before, uh, but not under these circumstances in a long time where he's not needed somewhere. And I think it's probably pretty good for him, this kind of relaxation. Let's face it, he did not take a vacation basically in four years. He said to think very well on the golf course. Yeah, that's where he gets some of his more creative impulses. I hope he's having a good time. He did say he'll be watching and listening and seeing what's happening. We may not hear from him for a while, but Mr. President, we are thinking of you and anxiously awaiting your next move. Meanwhile, Joe Biden is actually trying to get used to being the commander in chief. All right, this video went kind of viral there for a couple of reasons. Uh, a lot of folks were saying, well, why didn't Joe Biden salute? Here's the deal. Uh, the Marines don't salute him. They're holding the door. All right, watch this. 
And when you're president, guess what? You outrank everybody in the military, of course. You don't initiate a salute to somebody who doesn't outrank you, all right? That's actually pretty standard. Uh, Donald Trump got all this down first day in office. Uh, crisp salutes, and you'll notice here, the Marine is saluting him, and then he returns the salute. Just a little protocol thing. Uh, so Joe Biden didn't do anything wrong, but he did do something kind of weird. Again. Now, as to why he said that, I have no idea. I've heard the rumors that he had something in his ear, his mind or whatever, told him to do that. I don't know what's going on there. Joe does a lot of things that are off, let's face it. By the way, how much, uh, why do I know this stuff about saluting? Well, I did my time in the Marines, nine years active duty, about 11 in the reserves, and there I am with my buddies in my dress blues. Um, folks, people have been talking about the military a lot on Capitol Hill. Keep in mind my experience. I have not been as shocked as other people about these pictures. A couple of things here. Number one, I've slept in all kinds of places uh, for the Marine Corps overseas and uh, in worse accommodations than this, actually. But here's the thing that actually really set me off about the troops, Capitol Hill, and how they were employed. And I quite frankly think overall they are being used to drive a political message home. There's Nancy Pelosi with the troops on Capitol Hill, uh, staging them prior to the inauguration because of what happened on January 6th. We know what happened. It was awful, should not have happened. But having these troops as conspicuous as they were and having the security situation um, almost over the top, quite frankly, they were trying, I believe, to convey a message that Trump supporters were thinking about doing something bad at the inauguration. They really wanted to, I think, exaggerate the threat, make Trump supporters look bad, try to associate all of us with those horrible things that happened on January 6th. And their effort, quite frankly, seemed very coordinated. We have more troops on the mall than we do today in Iraq, Afghanistan, and Syria combined. More troops in Washington than in wars overseas. D.C. is like a war zone right now with more troops than Iraq, Afghanistan, and Syria combined. There are more troops in Washington, D.C. than in Iraq and Afghanistan combined. Uh, you think they got a talking points memo on that one? I'm pretty sure they did. Again, to convey the situation so dire that Trump supporters are so crazy, you needed all these troops to stop something bad from happening. And by the way, you know the pictures that actually kind of, I was taken aback by, before the inauguration, all these guys in the Capitol, I think that was meant to shock us all a little bit that, oh, this is where we've come to. This is how bad the situation is. We need all of these troops. Again, what happened on January 6th was awful and those responsible should be punished. But I sense that something political is happening here. Here's further evidence, by the way, Remember Senator Tom Carton, Republican of Arkansas, when he wrote that op-ed over the summer because of all those crazy protests we were having, he said, send in the troops. One thing above all else will restore order to our streets and overwhelming show of force to disperse, detain, and ultimately deter lawbreakers. And he was talking about the military. Guess what? Pretty reasonable idea. It's an idea that the Democrats actually made happen on January 20th when it served their purposes when Tom Cotton came up with this pretty reasonable idea, you may remember 
All hell broke loose, the uh, left-leaning media said. How could Tom Cotton have said that? It should not even have been in the newspaper. People were saying that it was racist, that it put black lives in danger. Just an over-the-top reaction, even for just publishing that essay. Then Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer just snapped their fingers, and uh, it happened. Again, military, they're great when they are protecting Democrats. They are a menace when they are protecting Donald Trump or private businesses that don't want to be looted. Here's the thing, folks. As we go forward under this Biden administration, I consider myself a part of the opposition. All right, fair enough. You probably are on the same side, but I don't want to call it the resistance. Do you remember that? That was the big thing under Trump. Resist, resist, resist. It has actually um, both a positive and negative connotation. The negative part, well, it goes back to World War II. People who resisted the Nazi occupation. Now, they were heroes, but they were saboteurs. They took up arms like these French women. They blew up bridges. They wanted to stop Nazi government in France, and that's good. Um, so here, I'm just opposing what Joe Biden uh, says and does for the most part. I don't want to take down the systems of government, and neither do you. It's an important distinction that we on the right are sure to make. On the left, no, they just embrace resistance. Viva la resistance, right? Um, oh, here's a problem. When you are coddled by the press like the Biden people were, when you finally get power, you're really rusty because uh, the press are starting to show signs of aggressiveness and they're not ready. Why weren't President Biden and all members of the Biden family masked at all times on federal lands last night if he signed an executive order that mandates masks on federal lands at all times? At the inaugural Ooh. memorial, yes. I, I think, Steve, he was celebrating uh, an evening of uh, a, a historic day in our country. And certainly he signed the mask. No, the answer is some animals are more equal than others. Mandate because it's a way to send a message to the American public about the importance of uh, wearing masks, how it can save tens of thousands of lives. We take a number of COVID precautions, as you know, here in terms of testing, social distancing, mask wearing ourselves as, as we do every single day. But I don't know that I have more for you on it than that. Talk about making it up while you go along. She doesn't know what she's talking about. Again, if uh, they had a real campaign and reporters treated them aggressively like they do Republicans, I think she would have been better at handling that. Um, I wonder if that reporter is ever going to be in the White House again. It gets a little bit better, actually. But as uh, Joe Biden often talks about, uh, it is not just important the uh, example of power, but the power of our example. Was that a good example for people who are watching who might not pay attention uh, normally? Well, Steve, I think uh, the power of his example is also uh, the message he sends by sign signing 25 executive orders, including um, almost half of them related to COVID. Uh, the wow. So he shows his power by signing executive orders. When President Trump was signing an executive order, they were all freaking out. Oh, my God, he's a dictator. He signed 17 on his first day. Well, wait, but he's not a dictator. <laughs> I mean, who needs Congress when Biden has a pen on blank paper and people just fill it in afterwards? 
requirements that we're all under every single day here to ensure we're sending that message to the public. Yesterday was a historic moment in our history. He was inaugurated as president of the United States. He was surrounded by his family. We take a number of precautions, but I don't think, I think we have big, bigger issues to, to worry about at this moment in time. Uh, wait a second, wearing a mask for the first uh, 100 days of his administration. That was the biggest thing. They kept on pushing that. Now they're blowing it up and saying you don't have to wear a mask when you uh, celebrate. Is that what I heard? Uh, and what else did Joe say about example, like the reporter mentioned? And we'll lead not merely by the example of our power, but by the power of our example. Sounds great. But once again... Empty slogans. A little while later, he signed that executive order. Everybody must wear a mask on federal property. And Joe shows up to some famous federal property, the Lincoln Memorial, without a mask. And he's walking, of course, all over the White House without a mask. Again, some animals are more equal than others. Just a lot of symbolism, just a lot of words, certainly not leading by example. Uh, but some of those executive orders there is some substance there, some thrust, and some of it actually is uh, pretty scary. Uh, Andrew Sullivan points this out. There's something called critical theory. Are you familiar with this? Look, everybody believes in equality, right? Everybody, no matter your race, color, creed, whatever, everybody deserves a chance in America and no one should be discriminated against. But some of these orders that Joe signing here, uh, it says that if you are part of a group that's been discriminated against in the past, you may need an extra advantage. He writes that for Joe, for President Biden, race and identity are everything, and that America itself is inherently, from top to bottom, a white supremacist country. It means giving the named identity groups a specific advantage in treatment by the federal government over other groups in order to make up for historic injustice and systemic oppression that we must pay for the sins of others, even if we had nothing to do with slavery or segregation. This is where it gets very, very slippery and potentially very, very ugly, and it certainly isn't unifying. But back to unity for a second. This is simple, and Joe, I believe, still has the power to do it. President Biden, if you were to come out right now and tell Congress to drop the case against President Trump. Wow. No, we want the case to go forward, Greg. Leave it alone. We don't want to give him any credence. See, the the problem that people have is, is that they wait for some hallelujah to come in. I'll tell you a little story and take it as you will. This is a story. So obviously there's a moral to it. <laughs> so um, when I would travel, because I traveled a lot um, in the early years of my children, uh, I would always leave a calling card. So it was one time that, um, you know, my, my eldest daughter, uh, was, um, you know, at home, I was traveling and on her, the way I would put her clothes in her drawer, you know, they're stacked, like even underwear was folded, you know, and all that. So when she would get to her second underwear, it was the first time she noticed it. There was a calling card. With just with, with with just a smiley face, right? And that smiley face was indicative. Mom's reminding me she's here and she's looking after me. I'd leave a calling card. 
right? A smiley face. She knew that, hey, you're down to two pieces of underwear. You better tell, you know, whoever to make sure that you have underwear, right? Calling card. So one day she was in a, um, as an adult, in a um, really confusing situation. I think she was like sad and tired at boot camp. And out of nowhere, in the midst of evil, overcoming her of the shin splints, the everything, right? In the midst of evil, where she didn't expect it, my calling card appeared and she felt better. So sometimes you have to pay attention to see where he is giving you the calling card to say, I'm still here. I'm on top of this. I'm just saying. Take it as you will. This was a, you know, kind of like a painting. Think about it. There's always a calling card, even in darkness. And hopefully you can see the calling card mentioning that our hand is still here. Um, that is all I have to say on that. That was not naked truth. That was a story to allow you to think a little bit and let it percolate. So calling cards, random calling cards. Like I said, she saw it out of the blue. Now, I thought for all of you that are on Twitch, we could do something fun. I've said that we don't share enough. We don't love enough. We don't um, embrace other people enough. Um, and so yesterday after movie night, I just picked like this random channel, which I actually follow um, called DJ Stress, right? He plays music. Now there was a guy this morning that I that I stumbled upon. I stumble upon different um, content creators on Twitch uh, just to see, you know, what they're doing. Um, there was a guy that did 70s music and it's called Donuts and Coffee and he had like a spinning donut on his head. I kid you not, he had a spinning donut on his head. Um, and I was thinking that every day when we um, finish uh, the Tory Says Show, that we can raid, uh, you know, another uh, channel and kind of just uh, hop in and say hi. doesn't mean we like them. Just give them that extra boost when they have zero people in their room and they're just putting out love, content, music, whatever they're doing, and kind of bring some love. So every day we're going to be raiding a random channel. It could be anything from sports uh, to music to talk shows uh, just to... Um, just because some of it may be liberals talking others may be interviewing people others well i think music is better so we can end it in a smile so um for those of you that are on twitch uh once this feed ends we're going to be reading a random channel and i'm going to pick the most gaudy ones those of you that have uh, uh know that i love giving back and it's a lot of fun. So if you're not on Twitch, you should be. Um, it's free to join Twitch as long as you catch me live. If you want to see things, you have to pay for it, right? Um, and I've put the lowest amount for subscription, like a dollar. Um, that way you have video on demand. Um, and if you have Amazon Prime, you can connect it with it. And we can do um, watch parties. Now, a lot of people were like, Bezos, Amazon, nee, nee, nee. stop. Stop. 
Amazon runs all your files in the federal government too. Are you going to oppose that too? So you have to understand that there's different businesses and you're like, I don't want to give, I don't want to look, I'm, I'm happy with it. I worked my tush off to make sure that it would be very difficult for them to remove me from here. D live instantly, um, you know, demonetize and removed everything and they put me x-rated Twitch hasn't done that yet so um people need to to see things for what they are right other people are trying to catch up you know they they threw their eggs in a lot of baskets when you know i think on the article that i put out today i mentioned that google funded crowdstrike like that was six seven years ago like hello hello but you know other people know best. So what to look out for is changes, changes that are happening, announcements that are happening and look out for SCOTUS. Remember that pops around on the 6th of February. It's already peaking with the emoluments clause and there's a lot going on. And like I said last week, eight days, well, you know, it's next Monday impeachment trial starts. That's pretty spot on Friday. They're going to announce when, House and Senate, no need to work. We've got Biden signing executive orders left and right to show and yield his power, as they said. Huh. How long will you allow them to rule you? Well, that's up to you and how much work you're willing to do. So um, on that note, I'm going to see you guys tomorrow. And for those of you that are on Twitch, uh, we're going to be raiding soon. God bless everyone. Have a wonderful evening. And tomorrow, we're going to look at things from a global perspective. Because when you see what's happening around the world, you'll understand why everything here is so sequestered. Because you're not really getting news now, are you? There's nothing for them to talk about. They're just repeating things. And they're handling the Biden supposed admin with white gloves. Remember, what was it that they said with Bush? Because they're going to repeat it. You can't attack a grieving family. Remember that phrase. It'll be very important for the next 60 days. When the family's in mourning, you can't attack them. Mm -hmm.